0: So last week, we ended Easter Sunday service with this discussion between Peter and Jesus, the resurrected Son of God. Peter's a guy who miserably failed, and after his failure, he took his cohorts and they headed back to the way it was before they knew Jesus, back to the way that it has always been, back to the old family tree. So they were there fishing in their misery when they were confronted with Jesus. And Jesus made clear to Peter that God's grace was not done with him yet. That he's now attached to this new family tree. When, when Jesus gave Peter that there was more to life than he had seen in the past... Jesus used this terminology, he said, come follow me, which was an invitation to a a new kind of living demonstrated and taught by a man of God, a rabbi. After three years of traveling with this rabbi, Peter finally realized that this rabbi was more than a man of God, but he was... God in the form of man. And what's so intriguing about this discussion is the way that it ends because Jesus ends with these words, come follow me. It was a a dynamic shift because Peter in the beginning thought we'll follow the rabbi but when Jesus now said come follow me it was come follow the one who has risen from the grave and learn how to live a life as you've heard earlier during the worship time a resurrected life. Let me show you how to live that kind of life. It's the invitation that he gives to us as he gave to them. So I was thinking this week about growing up in a community of faith because I was raised in a community of faith. And we had these songs that we would sing that would affirm Jesus' invitation and confirm his invitation for us to come follow him, be followers of Jesus. Jesus. And so we would sing these saying, okay, he did and we are. And so just to bring us back to that spot again and just to continue our worship that we had earlier, I just want us to to refresh that in us. And so we're going to do a couple of songs that that I used to sing when I was... Growing up, and you may know these words if you grew up in a community of faith. So sing them, put parts with them, and then we're going to sing another one that that's just currently come to our attention. But would you just now focus back into that expression of worship through music and make this your declaration? Well, he—I don't, I don't think—get me, get me started here, fella. That's—that's that's what we pay you for. Come on. <laughs> Is that the right key?
1: Follow. You lead it.
0: This whole thing about following Jesus, as we begin to understand it, we realize that it is more incarnational than it is informational. Because we can sit here and we hear all these things about if anyone is in Christ or a new creature, the old is gone, the new is come. But what transpired here while we were praying today is that Jesus wants that incarnational. He wants it building inside of us. For it to be incarnational, it has to be transformational. And that's exactly what Paul was stating when he wrote to his friends living in the city of Rome, these followers of Jesus. And he said in Romans 12, verse 1, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God, what? transform and circle that, transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There is a sitcom on television called The Big Bang Theory. It's on CBS. It's, it centers on the unique friendships of a quartet of nerds and an aspiring, not as smart as they are, actress. Most of the activity takes place in the home apartment of Leonard and the self-proclaimed genius, Sheldon, who lives his life with strict formulas and rules, creating all sorts of conflict when anybody goes cross-grain to Sheldon's commandments. And although, if you've seen the lifestyles of these folks portrayed, as lovable as they are as they are portrayed, do not embody the following of Jesus. It becomes clear in what they portray that establishing a home of love and peace can be a real battle. So when we have declared today, we will follow you, Jesus, no matter what key you try to sing it in. When you try to, when you proclaim that, we need to understand that no matter how romantic we put in our brains that following Jesus will be and where he'll take us, I want to tell you one of the first places Jesus takes you when you follow him is right back into your home. And when you get there, he will go cross-grain with many things that have been tradition and patterns established out of your old family tree. He has come to transform. Transform, and when you circled that word, transform comes from two Greek words, meta and morpho. Meta is an interesting word because it means to be in between origin and the end of the journey, where you're headed, the destination. It is being in between so that to get there, you have to let go of where you have been, and yet you do not have a foundation completely under you where you're going. In fact, some people will say, when I put my life in Jesus' hands and I put my faith in him, things began to fall apart. Absolutely. You are in meta. You are in between. And morpho means fashioning. He is fashioning you in a different way than you have been, and you are not complete what you will be, and so you're in that in between. That's where we get the word metamorphosis where inside that thing created for that butterfly, I understand it's called a chrysalis, is that right? Thank you, last time I said cocoon and someone corrected me, thank you. In the chrysalis, that thing being created is not what it used to be and it's not what it's going to be yet, but it is this, this gel. And we get to that spot and Jesus says, I got you, I want to bring you through metamorphosis and I want to do it in your family tree. I want to form you, and to do that, to fashion you, you need to let go of things out of the old family tree that you have counted on or have guided you in the past. Because God knows that within our families, trying to find peace and love can be difficult when we follow the old patterns that have been destructive. When Pam and I were first married, we lived in California, and we were... We established some friendships when we first moved out there with some friends who he was in the Air Force and 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 they were stationed there and we were you know, we, we established they were at the same age as us and then she ended up having a baby just before Pam had a baby and their baby was named Mikey and our you know, Christy was our first and and so we spent a lot of time in their house and, and spending time in their home. And and as time evolved we began to realize that Mikey was running their family. This little toddler now. Mikey would do what Mikey wanted, and when Mikey didn't get his way, he'd throw a temper tantrum and and become belligerent, and they would let it go, and there was no peace there. I would have stayed out of it, except Mikey had this thing about wanting what he wanted, so when Christy and Mikey were playing together, Mikey would push Christy around or knock her down, and her parents' response was, oh, Mikey, stop that. But Mikey didn't stop that. So there was this one moment that... We were at their house and I was sitting at the stool at their countertop bar and and the mother was doing something in the kitchen with her back to us and Mikey did something to Christy, knocked her down, punched her, whatever, and grabbed the thing she had and he was walking away. Christy was crying and the mother just, without even looking, said, Oh, Mikey, stop that. Mikey went by and I'm going to tell you that the Spirit of God came upon me. As Mikey went by, my foot, led by God, went up this way, caught him under the diaper and lifted him, I thought inches, others probably say feet, but I lifted him up and he went landing back down on his feet and he turned around and he had the startled look and I looked at him with a look that said, I am an assassin. Don't be messing with my daughter. He screamed out and, and the mom turned around and said, what happened? I said... I don't know, Mikey, what happened? <laughs> In that family, there was conflict. When Pam and I first moved here to Erie, within the first month, it was a service like this, and I was we concluded the service, and I walked down this way, and I went right down by the gallery there, down that aisle. Now, I'm going to tell you about a guy that doesn't worship with us, and you'll know why in just a moment. And so I walked down that direction, and, and it's, you know, I've just been here a month, and I'm just trying to make sure that everything is good and people still love me and, and you go through all that stuff. And this guy came up to me, and he said, Pastor, I need you to go talk to my wife now. I said, Well, what's wrong with your wife? You need to tell her that she needs to obey everything I tell her. I said, What? He said, you need to tell her that when I tell her to do something, she must do it. I said, what? He said, because I'm telling her some things and she's not doing them, you should tell her. I said, finally, I said, why? Why should I tell her that? And he said, because I'm the man of the house. I said, you're, you're the man of the house? Yes. He said, and she should submit to everything that I want because I'm the man of the house. Now, because I'd only been there a month, I didn't say what I was thinking. And what I was thinking was this, that you are not a man. You are a weak, manipulating, self-centered, fearful man who's fearful that that woman will become everything God has designed for her to be and you won't have control. (laughs) Mostly women clapping. (laughs) Except a few brave men. But I'm going to tell you, and I can't tell you for sure, because because I finally turned to him and said, no, I won't say that to her because I think you're wrong. He left. Never saw him again. But I can tell you, without being there, that there was no peace in that home. It's not there. After Paul says to us, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds, he says, I want to show you what that looks like. And he fleshes it out for us, and I want to take it, and I want to move it into the family. You say, well, I look at the context. It doesn't say home. What, what you need to understand that he's talking to the church, and the church was rooted in homes. So what he's telling them is going to take place in the homes. When he's talking to them, he's not thinking about a building like this on Oliver Road. He's thinking about the homes where the church was meeting. See, if we're going to become a strong community of faith, then we got to realize it's not because of good programs and what happens here on Sunday morning. It's because of this. The church becomes strong from transformed homes. That's where it happens. And if we're followers of Jesus, he's going to take us right to our homes and say, I want you to deal with us. Whether you are from a home where there's a mother and a father or just a father or just a mother or you are by yourself in that home and you have friends over or you have a roommate, it doesn't matter. In that home, he is designed for you to have his love and peace in that place. So if we've dec- declared... I have decided to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm camping here in your house and here's what I expect. And here's what he says he expects. He said, I want you to be married to the good stuff. So Mikey's parents were followers of Jesus and they were our good friends. And we were friends for a long time. And then some things began to change. First of all, one of the Believe it or not, one of the the big change agents was they put in a built-in swimming pool. And now they had more friends. People started coming over. They were also from Italian descent, and so it was not an issue with them to have wine during a meal, And, and it didn't offend us, and we were fine with that. But as time went on and more people came over, more alcoholic beverages began to show up. And they became party central. And most of the people coming there were from the community of faith. They began to bring the alcoholic beverages and began to flow freely and, and, and soon it became actually a drunken affair. And in that drunkenness and that revelry, they began to have very coarse language and extreme flirtation. What bothered us was that even those who did not involve themselves in the drunkenness and who are followers of Jesus didn't say anything about what was transpiring. And eventually what happened is Mikey's mom and one of the, one of the husbands of the community of faith had an affair. It destroyed two families and wrecked havoc within the community of faith. So Paul says, I want to tell you what it should be like in your home so that you can avoid dangerous traps. And so he says this. Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. How many in here have ever sold a house with a realtor? You sell a house with a realtor and they put it on the market and then they say your house has to be ready so that we can show it when we need to. And one time, our house was on the market and we got a phone call and they said, we're going to be there in a couple hours. The house was okay, but it wasn't Pam okay. And so... She was at work, and I was I was at work, but I had some free time, so I got in my car, I blitzed home, and I ran to the house and and to make sure things were good. And there was a stack of bills that Pam had been working on and, and a laptop computer and some other cords that we had electronic stuff hooked to, and I grabbed those and bundled them up, and then we had taken some clothes out of the washing machine and didn't want to put them in the dryer, so they were hanging in the bathroom, and I grabbed all those things, so I had a whole handful of stuff, and I thought, what am I going to do with it? So I went into the extra bedroom, and I stuffed them under the bed. And then I grabbed a vacuum and I quickly went to the house, not to get it clean, but to just leave those marks so it looks like it's clean. You bet. I know how to do this. So that when you came in and you looked at it, you go, it is just in order as long as they don't look under the bed. It's good. So when Paul says, love must be sincere, what he's saying is this. You can have nothing in your home under the bed. To others, it may look good in your house, in your home, in your relationships, in what you're doing. But he said, you can't stuff, you can't stuff the junk under the bed. Because he said, it will hurt you. In fact, he says, I want you to abhor this. I want you to never ever think that you can hide anything in your home. Do not hide that stuff. He said, I want you to cling to that which is good. The word actually means to be wedded to it. Wedded to that which is good, and the word good means that which is intrinsically good, which means it's good all the way through and nothing's hidden underneath other stuff, but it's all in its right order and clean. If your house is to be a house that's peaceful, following Jesus. See, if you want a house of peace and love, then you, you can't take stuff into your house and hide it from your parents. You, you can't take the weed and hide it in the drawer. You can't do sex texting and, and try to keep it undiscoverable. You can't take those CDs they wouldn't approve of and you keep them stashed. You, you, can't, you can't bring your boyfriend home while your parents are at work And have friends with benefits. You can't do it. Because it has a direct bearing. When our kids were still living at home, Pam had walked into one of the boys' bedrooms and she just, she felt like she smelled something weird. And so she went into the closet and began digging and eventually found an old backpack. And in the old backpack, the book bag, there was an old sandwich. Which had changed colors. Several times. We sold penicillin for weeks. It stunk up the place. I'm going to tell you that whether you're an adult or a child, you hide the stuff in your house, in your home. It will begin to give an odor that will become unrestful and destructive. Mister, you cannot hide an affair and believe it will not affect your family. You can't hide your website. You cannot take those movies that your kids shouldn't see and stash them and hide them because it's an invitation for destruction. Several years ago, there was a man in this church who had an affair. We found out. We approached him. He denied it. Months later, he then admitted it. But I'm going to tell you what the turning point was. Not because he got Confronted, and he could be found out. I'll tell you what happened. In the midst of this affair that he even denied to his wife, one of his young daughters had come out of her bedroom at night because she was feeling an unrest and was heading to their bedroom and stopped cold in her tracks because standing outside their door was a spiritual form hovering there that had all evil attached to it. And obviously it freaked her out and freaked out her parents. They came in and said, what is that? And one of our pastors said, you know what that is. That is the evil you invited in this house. And God's letting you see what it's doing. You're visibly seeing what's already been there. Cling to what is good. Be wedded to what is good and abhor that which is secretive because it does affect the home. That is what Jesus says you must do if you follow me. Paul said you also need to be devoted to honor. When I was in elementary school, my dad got elected to a ministerial position and we had to move to another city. We moved to the city and and we were trying to decide what church, and we found out that a, a pastor that they knew was starting a new church. And so my parents said, we're going to go help them. So we took off, and then the first Sunday, it was that pastor's family and our family, and that was it for several weeks until others started coming. And And the whole time, my parents were so honorable to this pastor and his wife. They They told us what a great job they were doing and, and, and how impressed they were that they would walk out in faith. And, and I never, 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 never heard a dishonorable comment about that family. In fact, their son became my best friend and we hung out together in each other's homes. When I became an adult, I found this out. That this pastor was my father's predecessor in the position that he was voted into. That man was leaving. My father was voted into that position. That pastor didn't want my dad to have that position, so he candidated against him, he even started rumors. He was so angry when my father got the position that he took all the files of the ministry away from the office and gave my father nothing to work from as he started his ministry there, Hit it all, and began to talk bad about him. I never knew that because the only words I heard in my home were words of honor. Paul says, here's what I want you to understand. Verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor has to do with the weightiness that it has, it has substance and it has value. He said, I want you to look at each other and I want you to see the value that God sees in each person and I want you to affirm it and appreciate it. I want you to declare that, that in your homes, by your gifts, by your words, by your service, you bring honor to parents, you bring honor to authority figures, you bring honor to other ethnicities, you bring honor to other leaders. It has nothing to do whether or not you agree with that person's belief structure or their lifestyle. Me honoring someone who has a different lifestyle is not me condoning the lifestyle, but it is me declaring, I see God's value in you, even when you do things I think are ungodly. Because Jesus said this, he said, I want you to love your enemy. Okay, there's that category. And I want you to love your friends, brotherly love. Okay, there's that category. I want you to love the family. There's that category. And then I want you to love your spouse. There's that category. There's nothing else left. And I want you to love them, Paul says, by honoring them. And when I begin to speak disparagingly about anybody else, I have begun to bring dishonor. Lori Jo Kemper is a parenting coach, and she recalls that in her church where Sunday morning they have about 2,000 people, the pastor was making his way to the pulpit to speak, and at that moment there was one of those moments of silence as he makes his way. She said there was a a kid there who spoke loud enough that it could be heard in that moment of silence, and he looked up and saw the pastor coming up, and he said out loud, oh, no, not him again. (laughs) The children in your home will pick up and feel the attitudes and follow the expressions that are in the home. So what Paul is telling us is when someone comes into your home, whether by in person or by story, they are to be honored. Never, ever should there be disparaging words spoken in that home. He said, and to this degree, when he said, I want you to be devoted to honor, the word actually has the sense of being tied to the family. It's a family tie. Treat them as if they are part of the family that you love and want to profit and be successful. If you follow Jesus, he says, I want you to do that. He also says this through Paul the Apostle. He says, I want in your family for you to be intense in spiritual journey. When I was a kid, probably three or four times a week, we'd have family devotions. And probably through half of them, I slept. But I do know this, I know this, that for whatever reason, devotions were really important to my family. It was an important thing. We grew up in the community of faith, so in those days, there was a gathering of the community of faith on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then if they had any special meetings or revivals, we were there every night, even during school weeks. And so there were times we'd go, and I'd say, "Ah, they're talking to the adults. You're going to sit here, you're going to listen. I'm really tired. You're going to sit here, and if you fall asleep, you fall asleep. But I got homework. Get it done before we go. And I can remember many times coming from meetings where they'd pick me up out of the car and take me, put me in my bed because I'd fallen asleep. But this I do know, that something about knowing Jesus was important to this family. my seventh grade year, my father pulled me out of school said, I'm taking my son with me on a trip. He took me on a trip, and I thought it was for fun, but I discovered it was for him to help me in this really crucial time of my life to understand who Jesus is. And I knew Jesus was important. See, in, in my family, they did not go by the rule that you just let your kids discover their faith on their own. My parents put me in every possible situation to understand who Jesus is so that when I came to the place that I made my own decision, I had a pretty good idea who Jesus is. So here's my issue I have as your shepherd. Juniors in soccer. Juniors in soccer every night. Juniors at every practice. Juniors at every game. Juniors on every road trip. Juniors at every camp in the summer. Soccer, 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 soccer. Juniors tired in the morning. Get up. You got to get to school. And then you got soccer practice. I don't care. You get going. Oh, I want to sleep in. No, 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 no. Your camp starts at 8. you got to be there. I have homework. We'll get it done when you get back home. Because soccer is so vitally important. Because he's going to get a scholarship and then go pro and you can retire. One out of how many thousands and millions? But when it comes to understanding Jesus... Junior says he's too tired to get up to go to that class on Sunday mornings. We should let him sleep in. Junior can't go to the summit on Wednesday night because he has homework that he has to do after soccer. You say, you're getting kind of radical here. Well, listen to Paul's words. Romans 12:11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Okay, so I have a picture of a really strange animal. Can you guys give that to me? Not that one. That one. It's a sloth. What are sloths known for? Slothfulness. Yeah. They're really slow. Paul says... Never be lacking in zeal. The word is don't be slothful in your zeal. The zeal means the life, the resurrection life of Jesus. Don't be slothful in getting that resurrection life understood and moving in your home. Junior should not, should, should not have better soccer skills than he does have spiritual skills. I'm just saying. In fact, he says this. You people that have worked in the mills, you might recognize this picture. That's steel. That's molten steel. When Paul says, keep your spiritual fervor, he says, keep red hot, that it's molten in your fervor. If your kids say to you, You're too radical about Jesus, good, if it's real. If it's religious, bad. If it's real, good. He said, in fact, it should be so zealous, so hot, that you're joyful in hope. Your kids should look at you and your family and say that in the tough times, you still have hope, and you're joyful in that hope, because hope says, I know that God has control. So I've spent enough time with God. I know that in the tough moment, He still has control, and we can laugh here. And I'm not cranky all the time. He said, I want you to be patient in affliction, which means that I'm waiting for God to do the thing that he's going to do, and I know that he's going to do it, so I will wait for his timing, and I'll help talk to my kids and say, we're waiting for God, and we trust him in this process. Because Jesus is so good, and we spend enough time in the community of faith and in the teaching to understand those things. And we're faithful in prayer. This week, one of our sons is going through some issues, life issues, and so we've been on the phone with him every day, a couple times a day, and we're always praying over the phone because that's what we do in our family. When Christy was really young, early elementary age, she didn't like her bed, and she said, I would like a new bed. And I said, what kind of bed do you want? And she she showed us some kind of trundle bed that was really pretty and nice, and, and we didn't have any money. We said, we don't have the money for that. And we said, but let's pray that Jesus would give that to you. So we prayed. That week, somebody came up to me and handed me money and said, We understand Christy would like a bed. Here it is. Do you know what it was like to have that thing delivered, have her walk in from school, see that, and say, Where did you get that? We'll say, You prayed, and God gave us the money. That is zealous in the home. That's what God desires. Whatever is the most stressed in, in being stressed in your house or or seems to take center of your house, that is your God. If it's soccer, 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 that is your God. If it's stealers, 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 then it's your God. If it's SATs, 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 that's your God. If it's cheer camp, cheer camp, cheer camp, it's your God. And Jehovah God says, that is idolatry. But where Jesus is the center, where you have said to your kids, this is important for us to pray together. This is important to sort of study the scriptures together. This is important for us to be in the community of faith together. Where Jesus is the center of the home, it becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. And where the temple of the Holy Spirit is, people want to hang out. Your kids will want to be in a house that exudes the presence of the Holy Spirit. Your kids' friends will want to be in your house because it exudes the temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, follow me and I'll show you how to do that. And that's why Paul says that our home should be an open house. So when somebody asks you, how's the church, what do you, what do you visualize in your head? Do you visualize this? Well, okay, the, the, the attendance was good and, and they sang some nice songs. In the first century church, if you'd asked them how's the church, you know what they would have seen? The home. Because it's in that home that they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. They, they, were, they were tied to it. They talked about it in the home. It is there that would gather to pray, and the kids would be there as the parents would pray for God to intervene on their behalf. It was in this place that they worshipped. They sang the hymns of the church. It was in the home that all transpired. And people would hear that and know that, and they would come by, and they would, they would be in that home, and the home would, would discover what their needs were, and they would take care of them. And so that is why Paul says these words Romans 12, 13 share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Hospitality means love strangers. Open up your house. Hear me clearly. It is not our culture to do so, but it is the culture of the church of Jesus that the major gathering should not be here on Sunday morning, although that is vitally important because they did gather together in Solomon's colonnade, and here we all get in the right direction and we can experience what we experienced this morning, but the focus was in the homes and what was happening in the homes and inviting people in those homes so that in those homes there was this awareness of God. In those homes there was this honor given In those homes, there was this praying taking place. Years ago, not here, but in another city, Jerry and Robin lived next door to us, and I'd been in Jerry's house, and it just just reeked with conflict. I don't even know how many times each of them was married, but this one wasn't going so well either, and... So there was, there was that, and, and they were, they were drunk part of the time, and their kid was having drunken parties, and, and I kid you not, eventually I helped him clean out his garage, and in his garage, he had three or four stacks this high of porno magazines. It just was intense to be in his house. You came out and you want to go, oof, oof. So we invited Jerry and Robin to come with us to the gatherings in people's houses, our friends of community of faith. And we'd go in the houses and we'd eat together. We'd talk and they would laugh. And, and, and after about three or four times, Jerry said to me, could we go with you all the time to those places? I said, why? He said, oh, I like your friends better than mine. And he said, it's just, it's just, it's just great. One evening, I got a phone, phone call, and Jerry said, get over here quick, Robin's going to leave me. And so I ran over there, and we just spent a couple hours together, and we talked about what was happening. And, and I said, and Jerry said, I said, Jerry, what do you want? He said, I want that stuff in those homes. I want that stuff. I said, Jerry, what you're experiencing there is Jesus. That's what you're seeing is Jesus. And one of these days, Jerry, because I'd had this conversation with Jerry. Jerry said, I'm a good guy. I don't need anything. He said, I said, Jerry, one of these days you're going to have to say I want Jesus because that's, that's what you really want. Those are nice people, but it's Jesus you feel there. I said, Jerry, one of these days, one of these days you're going to want Jesus. One of these days, and as I'm saying that, he says, how about now? I said, that'll work. So we talked about faith in Jesus, and he prayed to Jesus about receiving this forgiveness of life. And then I said, Jerry, now understand that this is just the beginning of the journey. Now, You have to let Jesus come into your house. And you have to let Jesus show you what to do in this house. Jerry said, how about you help me clean out my garage? said, that's a good start, Jerry. Today, as followers of Jesus, the question is this, what's happening in your home? Because it's in that home that Jesus said, I first want you to be aware of what it means to follow me. And as we have talked this morning somewhere in all of this you may be feeling right in here I got to take care of that in my home. If I'm going to follow Jesus there can be nothing hidden under the bed. I got to take care of this. So would you stand? I'm going to give you opportunity as we as we dismiss in just a moment. That that if you Feel that you just need to make that affirmation, that confirmation to God that you're following Jesus right into your home. You may even know that you need to deal with some issues. Or you just may want to say, God, if there's some stuff, we've got to have it clear. I'm going to invite you in just a moment, as John plays, I'm going to invite you to come and just stand here. We call this the altar. It's a place where we just say, here it is. So if if you're a single person living in your own home, but you want it to be the presence of God, and you you know that there's some issues maybe you need to deal with, then you come and stand here. If you're a single parent and it's just been tough on you, but you still say, God, I, I want your presence in the house as I raise these kids. If, if you have father and, and, and mother in the house, I, I want it there. You may even have your kids here this morning sitting in here and you'd grab them and say, come, let's pray that, that the house will be the place of peace and love that God designed. But I'm going to invite you to come and just make a declaration to God to just pray. And then I'll pray a prayer of, finality of our gathering here and those folks can can go that want to go but you can stay here and just pray together all you want and make that commitment to God and if you're in the balcony just come down the galleries it's easy way down and so as John's playing right now if you'd like to do that come down here then I'll pray after those who want to come down are down here just come and husband and wife come and stand and pray together your coming doesn't mean you have some dark secret it just means we want to be open to God so I'm going to pray a prayer blessing and as I do then those who would like to go can go and if you just want to stay here and pray with each other I'd even encourage you that if you're with husband and wife that you pray out loud with each other that you can hear and agree together and John's just going to keep playing this worship music inviting God's presence and you're welcome to stay as long as you want so now may you discover the incredible joy of following Jesus. May you have the courage to open up every facet of your life and say, here, Jesus, look here. And may you find his healing and his cleansing and the freshness of new life in every facet of your living, especially your home. And may you discover in your home great peace, great love, and the holy presence of Jesus himself. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You can continue worshiping here as long as you
1: like.